Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Man, it's so good to see all of you here. Hi, uh, I'm, I, I guess, men, you saw that thing about the men's charge. I'm so excited about the young men here at this church and their excitement to help put this thing together for us on January 14th, 15th. And so, you know, if you heard that and, and $40 is, a, is, you cannot do that, will you please come talk to us? We're going to get you there. We're not going to leave any man behind. Okay, so just know that part too. But the reality is we want to have you with us January 14th and 15th. Dr. David Allen is a friend of this ministry and a gem. Um, and you will not leave without being impacted. Um, senior Saints, I think that's 65 and over. Senior Saints, December 12th at 4 p.m., you have a Christmas party. I believe it's here. All right? So you just heard one of them. Be there. Pastor Justin asked me to make sure that I shared that with you. He's preaching down in Southern Oregon, so if you want to send up a secret prayer for Pastor Justin... Right now, as he's preaching at a church in Southern Oregon, please do that. It's Thanksgiving week, by the way. That's a good thing, right? We have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? Amen. Not everything's easy, but there's a lot to be thankful for. And so as we come here, one of the things I want to do as we go to prayer is pray for hurting people. I've been praying for a, 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 young, a younger man who's on a ventilator at Salem Hospital right now. Um, praying for him and his wife. They don't know Christ yet. My prayer is, as he's on the ventilator, and they've given him a 10% chance of surviving, that before they put it in, he cried out to God like a thief on the cross. Because we have a God like that, who hears people there, okay? Um, but as, as that prayer request came out, John, thank you for sending me that prayer request. And it's Jacob and Jolene, right? Are you? Are you? Jared. Jared and Jolene. As we've been praying for him, and as, as we then have other people that are hurting, here's one of the things that we need to do right now as we go to prayer, is remember this. There's a lot to be thankful for, but there's a lot of hurting people. And our God loves to meet them right where they're at. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much as we're going to prayer. Right now that your word is going to go forth and it never comes back void. You say in Isaiah 55, it goes forth and it accomplishes everything you send it forth to do. That our thoughts are not your thoughts and our ways are not your ways. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, sir, your ways higher than ours. And you love people like us. Thank you. And so even as, as we do, as we pray for Jared and we pray for Jolene and we pray for that couple, I'm, I'm, I was glad to hear this morning that um, there's some improvement in him in his physical body. But Lord, I am praying right now, and I pray that all of us as we're praying this, that he has cried out to you and has accepted Jesus as his Savior. That Christ died for his sins, was buried and rose again, that he believes it. For each one of us as we're here right now, in the secret of our mind, because right between our ears is the most secret place for each one of us on this earth, and you're, you're right there with us there. May it be that in that secret place, in our hearts and in our minds, you stir us, you mold us, you shape us, so we would see people different the way you see them. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, we've been making our way through the book of Daniel. And in, and in that, as we've been making our way through the book of Daniel, boy, Daniel's gone through it, huh? 
He was under a wicked government in uh, Judah. The leaders, according to Jeremiah, of Israel and of Judah had become stupid. That's the word used in Jeremiah 10. The shepherds had become stupid. They were no longer guiding the people in God's word. It was their own personal opinions that were running the show. It was filling their pockets that was running the show. And what ended up happening is God judged Israel, God judged Judah, and here came Babylon. So Daniel was a part of a a nation whose government was jacked up. That's a technical term. And the religion was messed up. And he got taken to a nation with a government that was terrible. With a religion that was terrible as he went to Babylon. And yet God showed favor to Daniel, and Daniel asked permission to not eat the things that the king said he had to eat or drink what the king said. He asked permission. And it says that God gave the chief of the eunuchs favor towards Daniel. God did it. By the way, catch that. Daniel was under the chief of the eunuchs. I don't know what it's like to get taken from your nation and have that done to you, but I might personally have a little bitterness the rest of my life over that. Just saying. And as things unfolded, this man helps Nebuchadnezzar, that wicked ruler, come to our God. And then, down the timeline, the next king, descended from Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't believe in the God Nebuchadnezzar did as he finished his life. And Daniel finds himself there. By the way, Wayne, thank you so much for singing this morning. That was awesome. Daniel was about Wayne's age. Wayne's 86. I'm going to say Daniel was ish in there. 85-ish. Same age when Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall. The Medes and the Persians had already surrounded Babylon. Daniel knew it. Pastor Pete preached wonderfully last week. Amen. And so Daniel knew They're surrounded by this nation that Daniel knew was going to take over because he had already told Nebuchadnezzar, they're coming. Remember? Head of gold, shoulders of silver. The Medes and the Persians were coming. Daniel knew it. Now they were there. Daniel knew it. And Daniel, at 85-ish years old, gets called by Belshazzar because there's handwriting on the wall saying, you don't measure up, Belshazzar. And the kingdom is about to be taken from you. And because he could say those things, Belshazzar then says, put the purple robe on him, put a gold chain around his neck. You are now in the top three leaders in all of Babylon. Do you remember that? You go back and read last chapter. Okay, that leaves, then in come the Persians, in come the Medes. They diverted the river. They opened up the aqueducts to come through. And by the way, if you go back and study history, after they did that, the people of Babylon were so disgruntled, they opened the gates. There was no fight. Go back and check history. There was no fight. They came in and they killed Belshazzar. But who was wearing the purple and the gold and was a leader as they came in? Wayne Weber. (laughs) Daniel, at 85-ish years old, is wearing ruler attire. And let me tell you something about the Persians and how they worked. Cyrus was called Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Persian was called Cyrus the Great because Cyrus believed that when he came into a nation, if they would do what Babylon did, he'd leave the leadership in power. He'd kill who needed to be killed, but he would actually let them worship the way they want to worship. 
He would just say, we're in control, right? Yes, okay, we're in control. Cyrus the Great let them worship the way they wanted to worship, and as long as they obeyed him, they're good. And he would leave rulers in power. So when we're about to read this together, have that in your mind, because some people go, now, come on. They're not going to put this 85-year-old Jewish man in control. Darius isn't going to look. What was Daniel wearing? And what were the people saying Daniel had just said out loud to everyone? Go back and read chapter 5. Daniel had just said, your kingdom's being given over to the Persians and the Medes. Out loud in front of all this other royalty. He's now third in command, or in the top three, right? So when Darius comes in with his crew, they're going, yeah, this is Daniel said this about you all. Sold. You're in. That's how that works. By the way, I'm also very convinced of this, and you can go back and study history on this. I am convinced that Darius is Cyrus's father-in-law. Darius the Mede, Cyrus married his daughter. That's why Cyrus had him as a co-regent overseeing Babylon for a couple years. Go back and study that. So here we go. Let's read this together. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them, three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit, so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Catch that. He had an extraordinary spirit. He was going to be set over the whole realm. The administrators and the satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy. No negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we'll never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went together to the king and said to him, may King Darius live forever. All the administrators, catch that, they said all, liars. All the administrators of the kingdom and the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce that edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that, as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. Then Darius learned that the document had been, or when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house, the windows in its upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went up as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any person who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and and the edict, edict that you signed, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. Now catch this, by the way. This isn't flannel wrap Daniel. He was very displeased, and he set his mind on rescuing Daniel. And made together, or and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. 
Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance of the king established can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own singet ring and with the singet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regards to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions or entertainment were brought to him, and he could not sleep. At first light, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, as your God whom you continually serve, has he been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, for I was found innocent before him and also before you, your majesty. I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the earth. May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal domain, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Now catch this. For he, Darius says, is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That good stuff. I love that because here is this man, Daniel, who from the beginning had this it says extraordinary spirit. You saw it from the very beginning of this account of Daniel, an extraordinary spirit. And at 85 years old, he's still living that. There's a new government, but it's the same old Daniel. Did you guys catch that? This is important for us today. In this government, as he's older now, as that hand showed up, Daniel had been living in obscurity, basically. A couple decades of being retired from government work. The queen, and I don't know whether that's a young queen or if it's the old queen, comes in and says, hey, there is somebody that can read that. Remember Nebuchadnezzar had that man Daniel. Is he still alive, that old guy? Yes, he is. We'll get him in here. Who put Daniel in power right when the Medes and Persians walked in? <laughs> Does God work like that? He works like that. The key is, Daniel in secret was still Daniel, so he was ready. You know, the, the most secret place you have in this room right now is between your ears and my, my ears is the most secret place. None of you are ever going to know what's in here, and most of you don't want to know. Sometimes it's like a bag of cats. You're just like, no, I don't want to know that. 
Daniel in here and in here was a worshiper of the one true God and he had an extraordinary spirit because of it. And God in his old age used him in a powerful way. I don't care how old you are in here. You could be a baby, which means you can't understand a word I'm saying, or you could be 120 years old and God wants to use you in a powerful way. Who you are in secret is who you are. There's your bumper sticker thought for the morning. Who you are in secret is who you are. And Daniel in secret was placed in a position that when Darius came in, he had purple on and royal attire, all because God had put him in that place at that moment for that time because Daniel in secret was who he was and was ready to influence an Iranian king. You know that Persia and the Medes are Iranians. It's Iran. Babylon is Iraq. These two regions that have been at war with each other for generation upon generation upon generation, that's who we're dealing with here. And Daniel was strategically placed to lead kings of those nations to the one true God. You are strategically placed in Oregon, whether you believe that yet or not. You are strategically placed in Oregon to lead people to the one true God. So it really matters who we are in secret, amen? And that's not me like challenging you all to go beat yourself up if stuff's going on in secret. I, I, we're going to talk about that. I'm, I'm saying to you, I lead the most excellent way addictions victory ministry for a reason. I come from it. I know the darkness I got snotched out of at 22 years old. I know everybody was telling that sweet little lady right there who I'm about to ask to bring me some water. That lady right there, that was a hint. <laughs> Pete, no, no, it's, it's down there, hon. It's, it's by this chair. You're doing great. Don't you start hoofing it. Wow. You're not my wife. Thank you, sweetie. I'll drink what both of you brought me. By the way, I drank too much. The reality is I lead the most excellent way for a reason because God snatched me out of addiction. I grew up in an alcoholic home. Both of my parents were high-functioning alcoholics. My dad, uh, an agnostic that did not like Christians. My sister's here. Good to see you. She knows. <laughs> we're all adopted kids out of Dallas, Oregon. They adopted all of us. But in the midst of that home with my dad, agnostic and hostile to Christianity, that's what I grew up in the midst of. And... You know, basically, my dad taught me how to drink. I watched it every day of my life. I grew up in that home and with my dad agnostic and my mom having grown up in a church but not really believing what that church taught or maybe at times that church didn't believe what they were supposed to be teaching. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because when my dad came from New York, they both went to Yale together. My dad was an architect. My mom was a sculptor. My dad was an artist that was really good at math, and my mom was an artist. And in that, as they came back to Oregon from going to school together, she wanted him to go to this church. And my dad said to the reverend of this church, I will come here, but I will not believe anything that that book says. My dad told me this story. 
And the reverend in private said, well, you can become a member. And here's the thing, Mac, I don't believe most of it either. My dad mocked that guy till right before he died. He mocked that guy. Because that guy said that to my dad in secret. And my dad never forgot it. And it gave him his ammunition that all Christians are hypocrites. Look at them all. That was my dad. That guy did no favors to my dad getting saved. But you know who really did? I shared the gospel with my dad a lot, and I got a lot of hostility back. You know, that little lady right there could share the gospel with my dad, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't get mad at her. <laughs> She'd read scripture to, her, to him, and he wouldn't get mad at her. He liked Lori. That's a good thing. A lot to like there. You know, I, uh, here's the problem. I did go to that church. Sometimes they would take me there for kids' stuff. And I heard Daniel. I heard the flannel graph Daniel. And I didn't read the Bible, but I heard Daniel. Now, in the flannel graph, now I just did, I just flannel graphed Daniel on Google, and this is what I got right away. Daniel was a little guy. Just a little boy. And there was an angry king. And that angry king said, you will obey me in everything that I say. I only believe in the one true God. I won't obey you, king. And the king was super angry. If you can see that angry king at Daniel. I remember this. And then there were some scoundrels, some scumbaggery. We caught Daniel breaking your rules. We caught Daniel and he was breaking your rules, little king. And the king goes, well, that makes me angry. Throw him in the lion's den. This is how I heard it. Some of you too. Is that what we just read? That's not what we just read. The lion smiles. I'm a happy lion. I'm not going to eat you. He goes, he's next to me telling me not to do it. (laughs) Thank you, God. (laughs) I'm still mad. (laughs) So I heard that. Some of you too. We did not hear it accurately. What we just read was not that. True? Darius loved Daniel. Darius was very upset when he found out that he had gotten duped. And by the way, when Darius found out that he had gotten duped, I'm telling you that all those scoundrels were dead. D-E-A-D, dead. Whether Daniel survived or not, those guys were dead. Because they tricked a king that actually looked at Daniel and said, this is the one guy in the whole kingdom I can trust. Did you catch that in the text? 120 satraps, and the king had appointed Daniel, and he was going to put him over everybody because he had no treachery in him. None. He did everything the king asked him to do. I I want you to catch that. Daniel, in secret, was close to God, so his public service was extraordinary. And so then, in that then, trustworthy without negligence or corruption is recognized by all people the good and the bad. That what, what we have to catch here is because Daniel was in secret here with God and in secret here, and what he would do is stay with God in his heart and mind, and as things came about, he was trustworthy with a government that he didn't even agree with. They could find no negligence in him, zero, according to the laws of the Medes and Persians. So what did they do? 
they made up a law. And you know, it kind of makes sense what they did because Darius is trying to establish himself as the ruler of Babylon. So now if you think through what these guys did, let's appeal to his pride, right? We'll go to him, we'll appeal to his pride. In the midst of that, what we can say is, hey, you need everybody to worship you, right? And everybody should only ask you for everything, right? You're trying to establish yourself here, so why don't we do 30 days of getting everybody used to the fact that you're the king You're in control, and it's always you, you all the time. Wow, that sounds like a good idea. And you say everybody was for this, everybody was for it. All right, let's do it. And he did. In March of 1944, Russia invaded Romania. And the Soviet Union was literally falling into place. And there was a man there, a pastor by the name of Richard Wormbrand. That's him. That's him. Richard truly loved God, truly was a shepherd of his church. Richard and other pastors were told, you must come to this assembling of pastors and leaders and religious leaders, but also political leaders, and you all will, on radio, basically say this. There was Moses, then there was Jesus, and now there is Stalin. Richard was having a conversation with his wife before it was his turn to go up, and he said, if I say what I know I'm supposed to say, you will no longer have a husband. And she said, I don't want a coward for a husband. So he went on the radio, and he said, We must not express worship to anyone except our God. Jesus Christ is Lord. As everybody else had been saying the party line about God and that Stalin now was the God. And that in order, he superseded Jesus. Richard Wormbrandt got up and said, and that's his picture. Richard did leave that assembly. He went home. He began to work within the underground church, within home church. And then one day disappeared. Two beggarly looking men showed up at his home and said that they had watched Richard killed by the Soviets. So his wife believed for 14 years he was dead. And what they did with Richard for 14 years was kept him in prison to torture him to get him to deny his God. Richard, in the midst of that, did not deny his God. If they came to his cell and found him praying, they would pull him out and beat him. If, they, if he ever sang a hymn out loud, they would beat him. Richard said in his book, and it's a great book, by the way, Tortured for Christ. He said in his book, so I think, you, you know, oh, you know, you just heard the ending. He survived. He said in his book, we had an agreement I shared Christ with them, and they tortured me. And he watched guards come to Christ. And he watched Soviet agents come to Christ. I want to read something to you from this book. Man, I love this. He's talking about communists and what he endured with them. But looking at men like this, not as they are, but as they will be, I could also see in our persecutors a Saul of Tarsus. I could see in my persecutors a future Apostle Paul. 
and some have already become so. Many officers of the secret police to whom we witnessed became Christians. We were happy to later suffer in prison, having found, they were happy later to suffer in prison, prison having found Christ. Although we were whipped as Paul was, in our jailers we saw the potential of the jailer in Philippi who became a convert. We dreamed that soon they would ask, what must I do to be saved? And those who mocked the Christians, who were tied to crosses and smeared with excrement, by the way, they did that to Christians in the Soviet prisons. They would tie the Christians to crosses and smear them with excrement. In those who mocked the Christians, who were tied to crosses and smeared with excrement, we saw the crowd of Golgotha, who were soon to, be, to beat their breasts in fear of having sinned. It was in prison that we found the hope of salvation for the, the communists. It was there that we developed a sense of responsibility towards them. It was in being tortured by them that we learned to love them. That doesn't make sense. That's an extraordinary spirit. That, brothers and sisters, is being a Daniel. I have heard many people say to me over these last two years, you need to, you need to dare to be a Daniel, man. I've heard that. I think they heard the flannel graph version. I don't think they've actually even read the whole book of Daniel when they hit me with that. I don't think they've slowed down and thought about what he really went through and what he, what he wants for us, our God, to do in Oregon. Richard Wurmbrand understood it's all about God. As, you, as you're working through that, the reason he could be that was because he was in secret. And that trustworthiness without negligence or corruption was recognized by those who were corrupt. It was recognized by those who needed somebody that was not corrupt like Darius needed Daniel. Daniel's persecution came in the form of secret treachery that had to attack his secret worship. Did you pick up on that in the text? It was secret treachery. These men got together in secret and said, let's come up with a plan because we can't get him on anything regarding the government. He's not doing anything wrong. So what we're going to have to do is trick the king. And in the midst of tricking the king, that secret treachery then came about to Daniel's secret worship because the minute he heard that it was signed, what did he do? He went back to his house if you go back and read it again, he went to the second floor. He faced east because that's what Solomon said to do in 1 Kings chapter 8. That if you're in the dispersion, if you're, if you're somewhere as a Jew, always pray toward Israel and Jerusalem and the temple. And Daniel believed that. And so he had his window facing east and he went in secret and he prayed. And the scoundrels went, oh, got him. It worked. Darius, oh, king, live forever. Did you not sign that anyone? That's what happened. What a ridiculous law. You must be prayed to only, and, and did you catch it? And if anybody needs anything, they've got to ask you only. Hey, mom, can I have a ham sandwich? I'm sorry, son. It's the lions for you. <laughs> That's really what that law said. You can't pray to anybody or ask anybody for anything but Darius. And Darius got duped into signing it. 
pride. Pastor Pete prayed last week that we would understand that uh, pride's a killer, right? Pride causes poor decisions, but repentance brings about amazing outcomes. Amen? It's true. You get in the middle of your stuff that you're just not doing quite right, and you realize that in secret you haven't been thinking right. You haven't been doing things right in secret, and you go, what am I doing here? Did you see that Darius repented? He caught it. He was very displeased over the fact that he got duped. And imagine that kind of frustration. This is my guy, and I actually just signed his death warrant. My word, my pride just screwed me up. Anybody ever felt that before? Don't raise your hand, you're good. In the midst of that, what did he say to Daniel as he took him and they put him in the lion's den? Daniel, may the God whom you continually serve rescue you. True? That's good stuff right there. That's good. But then, what did Daniel do, or Darius do? He put the stone over the mouth of the den, and he put his wax and his singet ring on it, and it says, nobody opens this but me. Nobody gets in there and kills him. If the lions eat him, the lions eat him, but there's nobody else touching him. That's what that is. And then he went back, and Darius fasted before Daniel's God, and Daniel was protected in secret by God and his angel. That's what happened. That's not the flannel graph version that I got <laughs> as a kid, right? Because if you, you know, Darius being 62 years old, and by the way, he passes away within just a couple years. Darius goes on. And, si then, and that's why it says at the end, and then under Cyrus. Because Darius dies, and Cyrus then is not, no longer a co-regent. Cyrus goes, okay, father-in-law died. This is the way it is. I'm convinced of that. Study history, you'll see that I'm right. If you think I'm wrong, I'm so sorry. But there's something that shifts in Darius as he is working through this. Did you catch it? When he goes back after fasting all night, and that means he's praying, and he said, and I don't know what it's like to be a 62-year-old wicked king, but he did not let any entertainment come in. Now, that could be, you know, the little guy on the mandolin. I don't know what that is. All I know is he said, I don't want anybody in here with me, no entertainment. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to fast all night. That means he's praying, folks. That's what that means. To who? I think we get a clue because the next thing that comes out of his mouth as he's yelling it outside the lion's den is this. Daniel, servant of the living God. Catch that. Daniel, servant of the living God. No longer is it Daniel, the God that you serve. I'm really hoping he protects you. He comes back with Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel comes back with it, and he meant it. Oh, may the king live forever. Do you know that if you placed your faith in Christ Jesus, that he died for all of your sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day, you live forever? And by the way, we all live forever. You live forever with that king. But if you do not accept the washing, and you will not let God deal with what's in secret in here and in here and wash you, Oh, you're not going to be perfect the rest of your life. Neither was Daniel. When we get to Daniel chapter 9, you're going to see Daniel realized he wasn't perfect. He confesses his sins. But do you know why he was righteous? Because he believed in the one true God. I can prove that from Scripture, Old Testament and New to you. Do you believe in the one true God? 
that Jesus truly died for all your sins, was buried, rose again, that according to the Apostle Paul in Romans and in Galatians and all through the New Testament and in the Old Testament, you're saved, you're righteous, you're no longer in that sin of the secret, selfish heart and mind. Amen? So if we're going to look at this right, when he says to the king, oh, king, live forever, Daniel means it. The other scumbaggery did not. May the king live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they haven't harmed me, for I was found innocent before him and also before you. Your majesty, I have done no harm. Can that be said of you and I? I've done no harm when things are hard and we don't understand what's going on. In secret, are we in our minds and our hearts staying true to Christ and doing no harm to others? That's, that is not a guilt trip, folks. I'm saying we're all human and we all struggle in here and here and what goes on in here and here is what comes out. Amen? True? Okay, so now in that, the reason I said amen is may it be so. So whatever's going on in here and here, if in secret we're acknowledging God and we're understanding we struggle and we're just working it out, what comes out is here. Amen? And so in this, what was going on in those scoundrels' hearts and minds is what came out towards Daniel. And what did they get for that? Can this be said of us? Do you know that the only person that knows what you're thinking right now is you and God? Period. But do you know you're not in secret besides that if you have actions? Did you pick up on in Daniel chapter 4 that when Nebuchadnezzar went out on the balcony and said, is this not Babylon, and he's alone, that I, and the minute he started to say it, one of the angelic watchers says, done, you're going to be a bird for seven years, off you go. Because Daniel tried to warn you about your pride, king. Daniel tried to tell you about your pride. You had that vision about the tree, and you wouldn't listen. And now one year later, after Daniel tried to warn you, your pride is going to jack you up. You came out on this balcony alone and said, is this not Babylon? Out loud, he's saying it. Go back and read it. Is this not Babylon that I, the angelic watcher said, done? Do you know that when you're in secret in front of the computer, or you're in secret taking something out that's going to inebriate you, you're in secret with another person the angelic watchers are watching it's not just you and god and by the way the watchers there's good ones and there's bad ones study scripture right and sometimes we open doors in secret that the evil angelic watchers step in and say thank you so much i'm here to mess with your life all of us that come out of drug addiction understand that. Don't say amen to that. <laughs> what, this, what, what that means is this. When you do drugs, you're opening a door to Satan and the cronies showing up and messing with your life. And all of us who have been there know it's true. Know it's true. When you get drunk, you're opening a door to no longer walk by means of the Spirit, but be dissipated according to Ephesians 5. And in that, and walk something else to mess with your life. Can't, if you're saved, they can't indwell you, but oh, they can throw fiery darts, true? 
When you look at pornography, men, hear me on this. There's some women that struggle with this, but men, please hear me on this. There's help. But when you click that and look at it, do you know who owns the porn industry? Satan owns the porn industry. He wants us to look at people as objects. He wants to look at them as soulless people for our pleasure. And that's why the angriest men that I deal with in ministry aren't unsaved men. They're men that look at porn because they know better. And it shows up in their homes. And so what's done in secret is how they treat their wife. Secret. You know what? Some of you right now go, oh, Matt, what happened to flannograph? This isn't judgment, guys. Ladies, this is about us getting real about this and saying there's help. Because some of you would say, but what I do on the internet isn't sin. I just stay up all night proving I'm right. (laughs) Some of you picked up on what that meant. I'm on the internet all the time looking at how right I am and how wrong everybody else is. I don't open my Bible, see what God has to say about it. I'm really not in prayer much because I'm so busy on the internet proving I'm right. Is that sin? Is it missing the mark? Is it, is it not close to Christ in secret? This is huge, everybody, because I'm telling you, Satan and the cronies are working overtime to screw all of our hearts and minds up right now so that we don't get in secret with God. And we'll be so in secret with all the things we're frustrated or bothered or blaming everybody about that we don't have any peace and rest. Does that sound familiar? How can Daniel come out of retirement and do what he did? Because in retirement, he was in secret with God, probably serving the Jewish people, doing whatever he's doing. But he was still with God, doing whatever God called him to do. So at 85 years old-ish, he was able to just step right in. This is for all of us right now. God's not saying, okay, so go home, beat yourself up, wallow around for a while, hide behind some bushes. I'll walk up. Eventually, I'll walk up and say, where are you, Adam? And you'll go, oh, how did you know? That is not, do you realize that when Adam and Eve sinned, I don't know what it's like to have breath breathed into you by God, and the first thing you see is your creator, but every evening he would come and walk with them, and do you know why they have dopamine? Dopamine is in your brain, the neurotransmitters, the, the, the center where you're going, I want, I desire, was placed in you for God. Amen. And we fill it up, in private, in secret, with all kinds of things that does not draw us closer to our God. And all of that is to, be, to say to you, and you have a great high priest who sympathizes with your weaknesses, who is tempted in every way as you are, yet without sin, so that you may come with confidence to the throne of grace, to receive grace and mercy to help in your time of need, Hebrews chapter 4 says. Because what he did undid what Adam did. So you never have to run behind bushes again. You can come straight to the foot of Jesus and come to him and say, I have not in secret been worshiping you right. I have not been listening to your voice right. And I want this life of rest and peace. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. I will meet you with a humble and gentle spirit, Jesus says to you, child of God. If you come to him humbly, he will never turn you away. Psalm 51 says, he'll never turn away somebody who's humble and contrite of spirit and gets it like Darius did. Because we got all kinds of things God wants us doing right now. Well, in this process with Daniel, God was glorified, treachery was judged, and Daniel prospered during the reign of kings who were his mission field. Catch that. 
Daniel prospered during the time of kings that needed him, an Iranian king and a Babylonian king. Because you caught what, here's what Darius says at the end, for he, Daniel, your God, is the living God, and he endures forever, and his kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion's den. And he's already said, everybody, you got to acknowledge this is God. That's for us today in 2021. I say that to us all because... There are things for us to do. Let me read you another excerpt because I'll tell you, this man had, you know, dare to be a Daniel. Before he got arrested, before he disappeared on everybody for 14 years. And by the way, when he got back, uh, what happened was, here's how he got out of prison. I never told you that part. There was a Christian doctor, a secret Christian doctor, secret Christian. No, everybody knew he was a doctor. He went to the authorities and said, I'm willing to go into the prisons and help people who are sick. But because, here's why he did it. He believed Richard Rembrandt was alive. And he wanted to go into the prisons to see if he could find him. And he did. And he contacted the U.S. government, and the U.S. government put pressure on the Soviets, and they released him to the United States. Isn't that good? And then that man then stood before Congress and took his shirt off so that our senators, our legislatures, our representatives could all see all the scars on his back and on his front. And he showed them his feet as they would torture his feet. And he said, this is what's going on in Soviet prisons towards Christians. He was able to testify before the leaders of our government because who he was in secret was who he always was. Here's what he wrote just prior to getting caught and put in prison. A friend of mine, an Orthodox priest, telephoned me and told me that a Russian officer had come to confess to him. My friend didn't know Russian. However, knowing that I speak Russian, he gave, me, he gave him my address. The next day, this man came to see me. He longed for God, but he had never seen a Bible. He had no religious education and never attended religious services. Churches in Russia were very scarce. He loved God with the slightest knowledge of him. I read to him the Sermon on the Mount and the parables of Jesus. After hearing them, he danced around the room rapturously with joy, saying, What a wonderful beauty! How could I have lived without knowing this Christ? It was the first time I saw someone so joyful in Christ. Then I made a mistake. I read to him the passion of the crucifixion of Christ without having prepared him for it. He had not expected it. When he heard how Christ was beaten, how he was crucified, and that in the end he died, he fell in my armchair weeping. He had believed in the Savior, and now that Savior was dead. I looked at him and I was ashamed. I had called myself a Christian, a pastor, a teacher of others, but I had never shared the sufferings of Christ as this Russian officer now shared them with me. As he wept bitterly over the death of Jesus, when had I done that? Looking at him, it was like seeing Mary Magdalene weeping at the foot of the cross, faithfully weeping when Jesus was a corpse in a tomb. Then I read to him the story of resurrection and watched his expression change. He had not known that his Savior arose from the tomb. When he heard this wonderful news, he beat his knees and swore, using very dirty, terrible language, unholy profanity. This was his crude manner of speech. But again, rejoicing, he said, he's alive, he's alive. And he danced around the room once more, overwhelmed with happiness. I said, let us pray. And he did, received him as Savior. 
Do you know why you exist today? For that. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's why he hasn't come back yet. There's more to be made. Let's pray together. Father, awesome God, I thank you for this time. For these precious people here and those who are listening or will listen later. Father, right now, for every person in this auditorium, I thank you for that you know them down to every synapse that fires in their brain, down to the heartbeat, the DNA that makes up the fiber of their being. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you know us like that, and you still love us like what we just read. Father, as, as we leave this place, may in secret we do business with you. We need you. May it be that when the world peeks around the corner, what they see is faithfulness. What the world, when the world's watching us, the only thing they could find us guilty of is loving you and worshiping you and proclaiming the good news of a risen Savior who makes people whole. Making disciples. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.